Hey, welcome to the Living Messenger Podcast, where we discuss God's simple truths and His gospel. I'm your host, Andrew O'Neill. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, I know it's been a couple weeks since I put anything out. I've been a little busy, but we're going to try something a little different. Uh, I have a good friend, Guy Goodness, here, and he's going to be joining me. We do have some malfunctions today with the second microphone that was working perfectly fine a few weeks ago, and now it doesn't work. So audio won't be as good, but hopefully it works. Um, So I'll introduce you to Guy and Hey guys, uh, you know, hopefully you'll find this, you know, conversation, Bible study, you know, lively and fruitful in your life. Um, I'm happy to be there. So is Lily too. She's uh, Andrew's dog. She's right beside us. All right. So I kind of wanted to talk about uh, heaven and heaven by the numbers. And so uh, we're going to start with Revelation 21. And we're going to read uh, verses 10 through 27, and we'll kind of break it down verse by verse. Andrew, let me, before you get into that, why don't, why don't you just kind of tell me why, tell, tell the audience why you chose the subject. So, you know, when we kind of focus on, you know, end time events, you know, I thought, what are we really preparing for? What is this all for? What is end time events for? What, what is everything we experience for and it's for heaven right that's what the ultimate goal is so i thought it'd be kind of cool to study uh something that makes heaven more realistic you know putting the numbers down making it more tangible more real and kind of making it more relevant than just some kind of made-up thing that we really don't know much about yeah it makes a lot of sense i i think generally speaking you know, even Christians to a large extent, we, we just put too much emphasis on the, the here and now instead of looking, you know, to to what we believe the not so distant future uh, where we can be able to experience heaven. And so I, th- I think we just get too caught up and, and miss the big picture. So I think the study is, is very uh, relevant at this time. Yeah, so let's go ahead and start with Revelation 21. Uh, 10 through 27, and this is the actual description that we get um, of heaven, and this is where we can kind of get some of those numbers of what heaven is really like. So if you want to start, let's just read uh, verse 10 real quick. All right, so I got 21, uh, chapter 21 of Revelation, starting at verse 10 through what? Uh, we're going to read through 27. Okay, I'll, I'll do a few verses here. And we'll stop uh, a little bit after every verse just to kind of discuss uh, each verse once it breaks it down a little bit better. Verse 10 says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. And uh, just uh, so carried me away in the spirit. That means John is actually in vision here. Right. So here he is. And he's showing the description, the Holy Jerusalem descending out of the heaven from God. So we know that this is an actual, you know, description of heaven. So just read 
verse 11 here, and then we'll stop after that. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So has anyone ever seen a clear uh, crystal jasper stone? Has anyone ever seen that? Um, that's actually not a realistic thing. And um, if you can see, I have some photos here. Unfortunately, you can't see them, but jasper is typically like a red kind of hue to it. There is a different, couple different colors, but there is no such thing as a clear as a crystal jasper stone. Um, so this is uh, something new that we haven't seen before. Um, and go ahead and read verse uh, 13 or verse 12. <clears throat> also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. All right. So we know we have three gates, right? Why is there three gates um, on each side? What could that possibly be for? Um, and one of the reasonings I thought was kind of cool is because of Jesus, Father, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. So it represents each of them on each side of these walls here. So we know there's three gates on the east gate, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And that's representative of Jesus, the Father, and Holy Spirit. We only get to heaven going through them. So I thought that was kind of a cool analogy in that sense. Um, go ahead and read verse, uh, the next one, verse 12. Verse 14, it looks like. Uh, 14, yeah. uh, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. All right, so here we have 12 foundations, and in this photo you can kind of see the different 12 foundations Um the names of the 12 tribes uh, of Israel, correct, um, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, are there. So it's kind of cool that that's even part of heaven and the foundation is part of that. Um, so where we're getting to more of the measurements is uh, verse 16 here. So let's read that. All right, verse 16. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Okay, that's really interesting. Okay, so 12,000 furlongs, do we know what that is? Um, so there is a couple different I know, measurements. I know like a furlough is like you get furloughed from a job. Like what, is that, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. None of us have experience with that. Not at all. <laughs> um, so we know it's a square city. And 12,000 furloughs, uh, some scholars believe it's about 1,380 miles to 1,500 miles. So one wall is, is typically, it's just easier to say 1,500 miles is the size of one wall. Um, and just to put that in perspective is we have this picture here, um, that mm. covers almost, so technically if you have four walls that are 1500 miles, that'll te technically cover most of the United States mm. and more. And just, we're here in Albuquerque. So if we travel from here all the way to uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, that's 1,400 miles. That's a little over 1,400 miles. So that's one wall that distance. Mm. So this is going to be the hugest city that's ever been known to man because nothing will come close to this. 
Yeah, so like as he's as he's looking at it, you know, he's got this large square that encompasses over half of the United States and into Canada, and uh, you got you got the Great Plains all the way to like the um, east uh, coast of Florida, um, maybe even some of Colorado. There, it's interesting. It, that reminds me of the state of New Mexico. We just need like a, a, a little, yeah, a, a little zia uh, in the middle of that. As far as the a shape. little notch maybe <laughs> up top or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Square mileage, it's 2,250,000 square miles. But that's not accounting for levels either. So there could be multiple levels because the walls, we're going to find out, also height-wise are super high. And this is, just to clarify, this is just the city, uh, the, the the New Jerusalem, right? Yes. So it's it's not even, you know, I mean, we come, you know, the Bible says we'll go there at least once a week on Sabbath, I believe. Uh, to worship God, you know, so we may have like homes there, but there's probably other places we will live or, or explore or travel. Yeah, different, right. different worlds. There's, we'll get into that a little bit too of what we'll do in heaven. So the height of the walls is also 1500 miles high. So that's seven miles technically mm. vertically. So seven miles of pure wall. That's, you're going up to 35,000 feet wow. at seven miles. Mm. So this wall is going to be humongous. There is some theories that people think this is a pyramid because a pyramid is square at the base mm. and it would account for levels going up. I'm not sure if that's true, but it's just kind of a theory that some people believe in. So now let's kind of get into more technical numbers. So how many people can fit into the New Jerusalem? Let's just kind of project some numbers here. So current world population is almost 8 billion people okay so let's say the total world population is between 50 and 100 billion so let's just say 60 billion people worldwide just to make numbers easy if that makes sense um so based on a survey by national geographic about one third of the earth's population identify as christian if we use that by our 60 billion number that would mean 20 20 billion people would go to heaven does that make sense Yes, a okay. third of 60 billion, 20 yes. billion. So if we take that 20 billion, divide it by the square footage, it would come out to be about 41 people per square mile living within the confines of the New Jerusalem. Hmm. So according to historical, historical records, 41.5 people per square mile is about the same as the population density of Hawaii in the year 1920. And at that time, Hawaii was considered a pristine paradise. So 42 people, it kind of sounds like a lot per square mileage, but in actuality, it's really not. And then just to kind of put numbers more perspective to home here, we live in a very rural kind of uh, city called Edgewood. There's small, only small town. 6,000, I think, is the total population, yeah. and uh, it spans 57 miles, uh, the borders of Edgewood. And our population per square mile is 108 people. Oh, yeah. So, and here... I mean, everyone's got property here, like a mile, an acre to two acres, yep. if not more. Yep. So 108 people doesn't seem like a lot here. And now we're even cutting that more in mm -hmm. more than in half. Well, you think about 
not even just the square mile, but, you know, by today's standards, there's all this concern about, well, you know, does the area you're living in have the resources to take care of you? And we obviously know in heaven, there's not going to be a scarcity of resources such as water, um, such as, you know, clean air, such as food, all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, clearly, clearly it's set up to um, take care of the population in heaven well. And also... Um, you, you think, you know, that's just the ground floor. If there's multiple floors, uh, you could fit way more people and that number would go down even more so. So there's tons of room, you know, in heaven for all of us. It's just a matter of if we really truly want to be there. Right. All right. Let's continue with verse 17. If you want to read that. Verse 17 says, Then he measured its wall 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. All right, so what is 144 cubits? One cubit equals 18 inches, so that would be 144 cubits would be 216 feet. So that's the thickness of the wall. Mm. So this wall is not only going to be 1,500 miles tall, but it's also going to be 216 feet wide. So a better perspective, I always think of football, that's 72 yards. So that's almost a full football field of wall thickness. And this is going to be made out of precious stone, right? So this is not going to be some, you know, and everything's going to kind of reflect light, which we'll get into here shortly. So let's read uh, verses 18 through 21. If you want to pick those up. Yeah. It goes on to talk about this wall. It says the construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth crypsoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I recognized maybe half of those there. I'm not sure about you, Andrew, but a lot of uh, precious stones. And it's interesting. So one precious stone that wasn't mentioned, that's probably the most, I would say, mm. the most precious stone in the world today is the diamond. So why is the diamond not mentioned here? You have any any idea? Reflecting God's glory would blind people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in actuality, so uh, there's no diamonds in heaven. It's a compressed carbon is what a diamond is, right? So that's formed with tremendous pressure. That's volcanic catastrophic element. It's a post-flood phenomenon, Jim. Mm. So it's not something that was mm. here originally. originally. Mm. It's a post-flood phenomenon. So it makes sense why this precious diamond would not be included in heaven because it's mm. post-flood. Mm. Um, another interesting thing is pearls. How are all pearls made? Well, they are, you know, they're shaped... And, um, you know, there's jewelers who 
who kind of refine pearls, right? I think yeah. uh, it's kind of a man-made thing to some extent. So pearl is made out as a gate, right? Is the main gate is made out of pearls. So it's interesting because pearls are a marine oyster and they're freshwater mussels. And it's a natural defense against irritants such as parasites entering their shell or damage to their fragile, fragile body. Their oyster mussels slowly secretes layers of argonite and conchylin. It's materials that make up its shell. So pretty much this is a material that takes, you know, several months to make a pearl. Um, years to even month, months to years, I should say, to make a single pearl. So it's a stone that takes time and has gone through a lot, like the 12, 12 tribes of Israel have. So it's not something that's easily formed. We've all gone through something. We've all experienced things, especially those that have lived in the end of, you know, end of time. Uh, their story is going to be unlike any other. And the gates is kind of a reflection of that, of the turmoil that we've kind of all go, gone through, like this, like the pearl has. So I just thought that was kind of cool. Got it. Um, and that's also, these are all things are all clear, reflective. All the stones are clear, reflective of some sort. So, you know, God's light is going to reflect off all those stones in heaven. So it's pretty cool. So the question is, why is there no temple in heaven? Well, there's no, you know, in the Old Testament, you had the the temple, which was a symbol of Jesus' sacrificial system for us and, and what he was doing uh, via mediation through the priests. And so I, I guess that's that's why there wouldn't be a temple, because Jesus already was the complete sacrifice. So, yeah. So let me, I can't skip the little ahead, but let's read verse 22, which kind of explains what I'm saying here. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. So God is our temple. And um, we also have uh, cool kind of uh, things in First uh, Corinthians and Revelation 21, 21 here. Um, it's, and this is Ellen Joy. The people of God are privileged to hold open communion with the Father and the Son. Now we see through a glass darkly. We behold the image of God reflected as in a mirror in the works of nature and in his dwellings with men. But then we shall see him face to face without a dimming veil between. So there is no need for a temple because God is our temple. And now we can talk to him face to face. There is nothing separating us uh, here in heaven, which is kind of cool. Okay, so verse 23, I'll read this one here. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. So there is no sun. Like I said earlier, all God's light reflects on all the stone, the jasper of the walls, the gold, the golden streets. And the gold is transparent gold, also of the streets that uh, we read earlier. And that's something that doesn't exist. We've never seen transparent or translucent gold. And the closest thing I could find was an astronaut's visor is actually gold. No kidding. And it's re- it's not made out of gold, but it's a color gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just as reflective. So it's kind of a cool picture to think if you look at an astronaut's gold visor. It's very reflective, and that's kind of what the streets of heaven would kind of look like. Hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So... Uh, let's read, I'll read the last uh, two verses, 24 through 26. And this is in Revelation chapter 21. Right? Yep. And these are the last few verses here. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut 
at all by day, there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So, no lockdowns in heaven. The gates are <laughs> wide open, right? Right. Yeah, some areas of the uh, world have, have suffered really bad under that kind of um, authority. Yep, authoritarian rule. yep, exactly. Yep. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is what will we do in heaven? Does the Bible say anything about the things we're going to do? And we can find uh, that in Isaiah 65, 21 through 23. And Guy's going to read that here. So, I mean, you know, I, I feel like this isn't elaborated on a lot. And I mean, I think if you if you look in pop culture, there there's just this, you know, weird idea that we're, we're kind of just doing nothing. We're kind of these celestial beings floating in the air. You know, we have wings, we're flying, but we're just sitting on a cloud. We're you know, playing a harp or something like that. That that seems to be the common perception of what heaven is like. And I think, you know, we'll read this passage here and, and it gives you a glimpse of God's character, I think, and and how he set up heaven and the structure that he outlined it in. And, and you know, it may be actually surprising to those who are listening. Um, so starting in verse 21 of chapter 65 of Isaiah. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. So that's actually really key. So those two verses there, it's, it's kind of like you enjoy the fruits of your labor. And, and it's not they're not going to be stolen from you, of course. Somebody's not going to steal your house. But, but it, it seems like God, you know, in his wisdom, he wants all of us to do work and then he wants us all to reap the benefits of that work, you know, um, because we will have perfect bodies and there won't be, you know, ailments that we suffer from that inhibit that. But that's really interesting that, you know, we kind of, it's saying in, in 21 and 22 that, you know, we're going to build our own houses, we're going to inhabit them, but we're going to plant our own food and we're going to grow our own food. Um, continuing on, Verse 22, for as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people, and my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So, you know, we, we, we may think of that, the work of our hands, man, that's that's really hard sweat equity, uh, but there's a reward at the end, right? And so, you know, these verses just give a, an interesting glimpse into God's character and, and how he's setting up heaven. He wants us to be, you know, somewhat productive. He wants us to to be active and, and laboring, you know, physically, um, among other things. And it's uh, really interesting, too, is, you know, building houses, planting vineyards, eating what you plant. We're kind of returning to the way the Garden of Eden, you know, what God originally intended for us to do. And that's kind of what we're returning to is that is the original form of God's plan. Um, so what does Ellen G. White say about, uh, you know, what we will do in heaven? So I have several things from Ellen G. White here to read. So heavenly knowledge will be a progressive, will be progressive. So she says, all the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. Unfettered by the morality, they wing their tireless flight to worlds afar, 
Worlds that thrilled with sorrow at the spectacle of human woe and winged with songs of gladness at the tidings of ransomed soul. With untenable delight, the children of earth enter into the joy and the wisdom of unfilled beings. They share treasures of knowledge and understanding gained through the ages upon ages in contemplation of God's handiwork. With undamned vision, they gaze upon the glory of creation, suns and stars and systems, all in their appointed order, circling the throne of deity upon all things. From the least to the greatest, the Creator's name is written, and all the riches of His power displayed. So, you know, that's kind of cool, just kind of, you know, heavenly knowledge. There's going to be so much stuff for us to learn, and minute details of things we probably never understood before or couldn't understand well, now we'll be able to understand. So, you know, just learning about the universe and God's, you know, creation, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be filled with years of learning. Well, I mean, you know, we talked about like the physical thing, the planting a garden, going back to the Eden method that God originally intended. But then, you know, this is talking about the, the almost the, you know, the intellectual side of things, you know, it's honestly, it's, when it says contemplation of God's handiwork, that's kind of reminds me of just like biology, you know, studying biology, the things that God made, uh, you know, how he designed things, uh, all of that stuff will go on. So we'll get, you know, a good exercise of, it seems like the physical and the mental, you know, the emotional, all these kind of powers that God gave us, uh, we'll have that. We'll use those. Yep. And then I really like this by Ellen Joyce. She says, And the years of eternity as they roll will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is more progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The more men learn of God, the great will be their admiration of his character. And what better way to sum that up? Uh, so how about social life? What do we know about social life? Um, Ellen Joyce says this about social life. She says, there we shall know even as also we are known. There the loves and sympathies that God has planted in the soul will find truest and sweetest exercise. The pure communion with holy beings, the harmonious social life with the blessed angels and with the faithful ones of all ages. The sacred fellowship that binds together the whole family in heaven and in earth. All are among the experiences or hereafter. So, you know, she doesn't really kind of hit on marriage or anything like that, but we will have you know, we will have that knowledge, obviously, that we have here on earth of that relationships that we've created here on earth mm -hmm. will be there in heaven, but probably even more so um, just because of God's love and the communion that we will have together up there will be even more pure, I guess, is a good way to say it. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll be like a big family, it seems like, um, that... You know, and we'll kind of forever be tied to the rest of the people who are in heaven because we have our unique, you know, circumstances, but we all have that common thread of, you know, the, the, the experiences on this, in this earth, you know, the trials, the tribulations, the joy, the sorrow, all that, you know, we'll have that, that ties us together. Uh, but we'll, you know, we'll have the characters that are very similar that, that got us into heaven. So... And we kind of already talked about this already in, when we were reading earlier uh, on Isaiah 65, but Ellen G. White also kind of expands on that just a little bit. Um, she says there, And the earth made new, the redeemed will engage in the occupations and pleasures that brought happiness to Adam and Eve in the beginning. 
The Eden life will be lived, the life in garden and field. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of the trees are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. There every power will be developed, every capability increased. The grandest enterprises will be carried forward. The loftiest aspirations will be reached, the highest ambitions realized. And still there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the powers of body of mind and soul. And, you know, it's not just going to be heaven. You know, we're going to be able to fly to other planets or, you know, there's just going to be so much, you know, galaxies that we can explore. It's going to be kind of amazing to to experience. All right. So next, I kind of wanted to get into speculation. Um things you kind of hope for or maybe things that you know think we might be there and one thing i you know just i think would be really awesome if somehow you know we could see what you know we've read all these bible stories our whole lives it'd be so awesome if we could actually see that happen in real life yeah we could talk to david and hear firsthand experience of him fighting goliath or you know um Gideon and Jericho like you know there's so many stories that or Joshua and Jericho there's so many different stories we could get into but I would be awesome if we could actually see that like put in a DVD and actually see that would be really awesome that's just one thing I, I think would be really cool how about you anything that you can think of that you would think you'd want or wish you could have in heaven I mean I definitely you know I want to know you know, why those who, who, you know, I loved or, or knew on this earth, you know, why they didn't make it, you know, um, just, you know, good, a lot of good background knowledge as well to, you know, certain, certain Bible stories where, you know, there just wasn't a lot of elaboration in the scripture, you know, the context behind them, you know, how, how the characters of the story, you know, how David was feeling, um, you know, facing Goliath, you know, just, just every, the nuances going on, that'd be really cool to hear it from like a, a first person perspective, I think. So yeah, lots of questions to be asked. And that's one thing is, that's one of the things we're going to be doing, um, in heaven is, you know, we're going to be able to understand God's judgments and we're going to be able to understand that he was fair with everybody and gave people multiple opportunities and they continue to turn it down. And we're going to be able to see all that to, to prove that God's judgments were fair. Um, and that's one of the things we're going to be doing in the New Jerusalem is going over all that. Um, one thing I kind of thought interesting was, what if we had, um, you know, there's uh, waves in the air, you know, there's satellites beaming down information, you know, your, our cell phones are transmitting information through airwaves, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think we'll have access to those airwaves? You know, mm -hmm. things we can't see, but God created, you know, will we have access to those things? Maybe like send things to each other. I don't know. You mean like kind of alternate, alternate realities, alternate kind ways of, of communication? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Or yeah, tel that's, telepathy. Yeah, that's really deep. Uh, my mind doesn't really... <laughs> really go into that as like as much as like an engineer or somebody in the, the science industries. But yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, there are ways to communicate, you know, I mean, if you can just think about, you know, animals, how they, 
you know, you can communicate with a pet right mm-hmm. now, but you know, the ways that animals communicate now that humans just can't, can't break through to that's, that's really interesting to me. Yeah. That's another thing. Cause I mean, you look at God, he's, uh, he's used pets in the Bible right. that have talked back to people. Right. So, I mean, in theory, maybe, you know, we can talk, to animals in heaven maybe yeah i don't know like you said maybe understand them you know yeah. deeper yeah. um but you know you figure angels are here protecting us do they fly back to ask god a question or do they have like do they just say something and god hears it like right. god hears everything and he just speaks to them directly like telepathy like it's just kind of interesting yeah um and speaking of uh you know, animals, do you think our pets will be in heaven? I do not know if, I do not think the Bible directly addresses that. And you're shaking your head no. So no. probably not. Um, a lot of people get really kind of, I, I guess I would say, triggered by this question or thought. Like the thought of, you know, possibly not having their beloved pet in heaven. Um I, Really hard to say because I've had some great pets in my life. I know, I know you have too. Um, I just kind of, I just take comfort in the fact that God knows what's best for us, and and I have a sus- I have a suspicion that that certainly there, there's a good chance they could be there, um, but I I'm not of that that authority. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And you figure animals are part of God's creation. Mm-hmm. So they play an important role. Right. And like I said, God has used animals all throughout, you know, Bible. And I'm sure things that we aren't even aware about, he's used animals for. So you would think, you know, being such a big part and being part of creation that they would be there in heaven. But yeah, you can't say for sure that our animals will be there. An interesting thought on that is like, you know, will they be in heaven? You know, I guess you'd have to think, you know, are animals capable of kind of like an intelligent way of like, like choosing moral things? I mean, certainly there's, we all know that there are like good benevolent animals, but are there bad animals? Are there animals who, you know, somehow they have a higher capacity for making moral choices that, I mean, that, that would kind of be somewhat of a factor in. I feel like if they're capable they they may not be, but I'm just throwing that out there. So are they going to be surrounding the city coming after us too, with all the <laughs> yeah, nations yeah, yeah. and the yeah, New Jerusalem? Yeah, 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 yeah. The animal with, yeah. with Hitler or something. Yeah. Yeah. The Dobermans, <laughs> Rottweilers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I guess uh, last thing is, you know, I talked about it kind of briefly flying, but we know that there are other planets out there, other civilizations out there. Ellen Joyce quotes it many times that mm-hmm. there is. And... You know, that's going to be awesome to fly to other planets that have never, you know, have fallen from sin. And they're going to want to hear our experiences and have us tell tell them their story. So like us, you know, being all enamored, enamored with, you know, these characters of the Bible, these other worlds that have been watching us um, are going to be, you know, are going to want to talk to us and kind of get our insight also. So that will be kind of cool to experience, I feel like. So just kind of kind of close on this. I thought this is a good way to close it. Um, uh, Ellen G. White writes this. So if you just kind of picture the second coming and 
here you are, you know, you've been brought up mm. into the clouds and you're in the New Jerusalem. And this is kind of what you see here. Just kind of get your reaction. As the ransomed are welcomed to the city of God, there rings out an exultant cry. The two Adams are about to meet. The Son of God is to receive the Father of our race, whom he created, who sinned, and for whose sin the marks of the crucifixion are on the Savior's form. As Adam discerns the prints of the nails in humiliation, he casts himself at Christ's feet. The Savior lifts him up and bids him look once more upon the Eden home from which he has so long been exiled. And I just, the way, I love Ellen G. White, the way she writes things, because she's so poetic and, you know, it's, you can only believe that she was inspired because who else could write, you know, such great imagery of visual because she actually seen this stuff. She's been inspired by it. And just seeing Adam, you know, the cause of sin, mm. the cause of our fallen world was because of him and Eve. Mm. And for him to be redeemed still after all his failures, and yet here he is, you know, with Jesus. I mean, it's got to be an awesome picture to witness. And just ourselves, how we would experience seeing Jesus for the first time. I, I, I mean, I'm sure I would probably be at my knees just like bawling my eyes out like because I'm not worthy and that's all you can really because you can't even imagine how you would react to something like that mm. yeah a lot of reaction there um yeah I don't know um I kind of like to kind of end with a thought that I that I was kind of impressed upon this morning um as Andrew knows I you know gone through a lot of life changes my wife and I, just less than two weeks ago, we had our second kid. And, you know, it was interesting, you know, around that time, you know, you know, you had this joy of having a kid, but I, I also found out that, you know, I lost my job. And it, you know, wasn't a fault of my own, but, you know, I was reflecting on all, everything over the last two weeks, and especially pertinent to this topic of heaven. And, you know, God impressed me that, you know, we do all these things here in this world, you know, we plan you know, uh, you know, especially on financial matters, you know, we plan, you know, professionally, we, we try to improve our careers and, and our skill sets. But, but God impressed me that, you know, there's really no inherent security in any of these things that we do in, in this world. Um, and, and when you talk about, you know, heaven, though, we do have security in heaven and, and Jesus's sacrifice, that, that will get us to heaven if we just accept that. Um, so we have, you know, all these promises of, you know, a mansion in heaven and, and, and no, no suffering, no pain. Um, yeah, but, you know, nothing here on this world is really, it's, there's no security. There's only a temporal security that, that can be fleeting with various circumstances. And so that's kind of where it hits me, this topic this week. I don't know, Andrew, if you have anything to add or yeah like i said that's and that's kind of like i wanted to study this just because it's important to kind of remember you know what what are we doing this for what are we experiencing you know losses in life that you know hardships whatever and this is the ultimate goal like here on earth none of these things truly matter they matter but they truly don't because going to heaven is what ultimately matters so, all right, so this was kind of just something different. We thought I'd do it. It's kind of nice having someone to bounce things off of. This was 
very unscripted. We didn't really plan for this very much, so I think we got into a little bit of groove at the end there. The beginning it was a little hard, but I'm sure the more we do this, the better it'll get. So thanks for joining us. Thank you.